0: on the mixtape just around the corner did a lot in california can't wait to drop this don't you yeah they gonna have fun with that smash like song in my songs gonna break through like hello pad.
1: and welcome back to the podcast it is always up to speed with formula one back by popular demand our <laughs> daily and mark <laughs> hamilton here to break down the latest formula one news Dude, it is weird. We're two races into the second half of the 2022 Formula One World Championship, and I feel like we haven't talked literally in forever because August, I took a bunch of time off. I went away during the summer break, and you were just like pumping out the content that we came back for the Dutch Grand Prix, and I wasn't able to do that one because I had a dodgy internet connection where I was staying on Labor Day weekend, and then this past weekend for Monza, you had something come up, so... Just to put all the fears, kind of, uh, or minimize all the fears and put them all to rest. We haven't gone anywhere. It's just that we had a big fight and we didn't like each other. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just schedules just <laughs> got like a little bit kind of crazy the last little while. But I feel good, man. I feel like this is like the start of like turning over a new page. It's fall. The kids have gone back to school, and I feel like we're kind of getting back into our rhythm again. You know, based yeah. on about. 30 seconds of doing a podcast together for the first time in like weeks. So anyways, second, how's it going, second buddy? Podcast second podcast since
0: July, it's crazy. So things yeah, are going right. great. And, and to everybody listening at home and has reached out and, ask, and asked if everything's okay, I assure you it is. Our bond, our relationship, our friendship, as as tight as it's ever been. Yep. But we just couldn't kind of line up the dates properly. And like you said, <laughs> last week, we, were, we had a huge news show planned. Tons of great topics, some of which we've carried over to today. And that couldn't happen because of some unforeseen uh, circumstances. So we dropped the Megan Schuster interview instead. Hope everyone enjoyed that. And then Sunday... I had some personal unforeseen circumstances. So you got Daly and Tim, but the Sunday before that, you got Hamilton and Tim, which is (laughs) an unusual combination. But we're back, and you know, you and I were talking before the show. I I so desperately want to get back to our regular cadence of that backbone of the program, which is our weekly news show, and then kind of filling everything in around the periphery with the race reviews, the interview series. We've got another book club episode with Bird coming, which we're both super, super excited about. but yeah, now that the summer is officially over, I want to look forward to this. And I have a newfound appreciation for fathers like you. This was the first year putting our son into school. So he's been in full-time daycare for almost four years, but now yep. he's in kindergarten. So back to school had a whole new meaning for us this year. And <laughs> a new school, new teachers yep. adjusting to a new rhythm. So cool. that, that was a little bit more exhaustive that I maybe expected that it would be. And quick thing, and I know I'm rambling here, but a quick shout out to a friend of the show, Marshall. Um, Marshall had sent me a quick note the other day saying, hey, look, man, you know, Um, I appreciate that sometimes the championships don't necessarily go the way we want them to and that this championship is going to come to a close sooner rather than later. I think we all know Max is going to win the Drivers' Championship and Red Bull is going to win the Constructors' title, but there's still so much interesting stuff happening in the world of Formula 1 that we could do this podcast Five days a week. So if you've become discouraged, like I had a little bit, if you've become discouraged a little bit with the outcome of this championship, not necessarily who's winning, but how it's going to happen, don't be, because there's tons of really great stuff to talk about for the next few weeks and months. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean,
1: it, it's it's funny, too, because I was thinking about it this afternoon. And just before I do that, I just want to backtrack for a second. I just wanted to add, just on the getting back into our groove thing, we were so pumped to do the show this week. We decided to do it a night early just because we're <laughs> eager to get back to it. But you know, having totally. said that, no going back just to uh, address your comments. I think, in part, it's a little bit of... Um, what do you want to call it? Like a bit of a hangover from twenty one, right? So Because true. we have this so epic, true. this epic tra- championship between Max and Lewis, and it went down to the wire. And of course, there was all that drama and all the th- that mega controversy uh, after Abu Dhabi, and rightly so. Uh, but then we were all really looking forward to round two between Max and Lewis. But it just didn't turn out that way because you come into 2022, you have the new cars, the new regs, and it was going to be a question right off the bat, well, who's going to nail this and who isn't? And well, obviously, Red Bull got it right. Ferrari looked like they got it right. And then they kind of imploded after about what, round three? <laughs> and it's yep. kind of been a bit of a, a gong show ever since. And And it's been interesting, though, just watching the championship now is where, where's Ferrari have faltered. Mercedes have been picking up those those points along the way, and this kind of like really goes nicely into what we were going to do. We we're just going to do a bit of a, a quick championship uh, update because at the top of the constructors, you got Red Bull five hundred forty five points. That championship sadly is over and done mathematically, unless both those Red Bull cars don't finish the rest of the season. Uh, yeah. It, it's it's over. <laughs> They're going to win it. Anyways, if you look a little bit further down, you got Ferrari with four oh six and Mercedes with the uh, three seventy one. You got twenty five points between these two these two teams, and a whole bunch of races to go before we get to Yas at the beginning of December. So that's I think a really intriguing battle. I, I think that Mercedes. I think obviously they always want to win the championship. I mean, how many times over the years has Toto said, "We're not out here to race. We're here. We're chasing perfection." Right. So. You know, having said that, I think just based on how sluggish the start to their season was, and I I think it's sort of really. Punctuated by that uh, that moment in Australia after it was at lap two or three where Lewis was basically saying you know can we just retire the car it was just uh, you know th- that sort of hopelessness and kind of like I've given up sort of attitude or tone in his voice and slowly but surely they picked up the the points where uh, Ferrari have dropped them and they're only about twenty five points apart so that's pretty interesting and then if you go over to the drivers championship you got uh, Max obviously he's running away with the three hundred thirty five points you got Charles who's got two hundred nineteen points. You got Checo, who's only nine points behind Charles in the the Drivers' Championship, and seven points behind Sergio is Georgie Russell with 203. And then Carlos Sainz is only about 15, 16 points behind George. So I expect those places two to five are really going to flip around. I mean, it still looks weird to me to see Lewis down in sixths in in, in the Drivers' Championship. But I mean, I, I would expect to see that uh, race between Ferrari and Mercedes tighten up in the constructors, and for sure, I think we're going to see movement one way or another between those four or five guys in the Drivers' Championship, so yeah, okay, Max, Red Bull, they're going to win the championships, but as Hammy says, don't get discouraged by that. There's a lot of other cool stories to to, to really follow. And I'm really kind of hoping that how this kind of plays out between now and the end of the year is really going to set the foundation going into 2023. What what do you think, Mark?
0: I totally agree. And I'm glad you made that that connection between what we're going to see over the last few races and how these teams start to prepare and set up for 2023. And, And obviously, the driver market in a lot of ways is still wide open. And I think some of the things that we're going to see on the track and some of the things that we're going to see off the track will help influence the decisions that the teams make. Uh, But obviously that's yet to happen. So that's a reason to tune in and a reason to follow F1 and a reason to check out this podcast. But I think these teams are also going to start tinkering with some of their aero concepts and some of the other aspects of their car. Because if I'm Ferrari and I now know that the championship is, is long gone, do I commit fully to chasing second place because of the quote unquote prestige of finishing second of the championship? as opposed to third, although there is some valuable points and some valuable cash associated with that second place finish as opposed to third, or do I start getting do I start getting creative with the car and strategy and design and try some new things? But then again, given the new cost cap, it's more, it's more difficult to do that. Like there's still lots of things to talk about. And obviously the championships are decided, but to your point, the Mercedes Ferrari battle should be a good one. Unfortunately, I don't know how great the McLaren Alpine battle will be, but it'll be really interesting to see how Fernando finishes off his season, his contractual obligation to Alpine (laughs) Renault. It'll be really interesting to see how Daniel performs the rest of the year with McLaren. And of course, his performance will have a significant weighting or a significant influence on the whether he ever gets another F1 seat again. And that seems so certain a few weeks ago and now so much less certain. And of course, we've got so many other driver seats uh, that are wide open. And then the big one for me, and this is something that's happening entirely off the track, but involves Red Bull is, and you know, a couple of weeks ago, we did a podcast and you titled it, is, is Porsche getting cold feet? Actually, let me bring it up right now do-do-do-do-do-do, is Porsche having second thoughts? Yeah, And all of a sudden, this week, last week, we learned that their agreement or their kind of temporary, um, hesitant or tentative agreement with Red Bull has completely collapsed. They And we'll get to the story in a couple of minutes, but they will not be partnering Red Bull, which is something that we all thought was concrete, finished, complete, like locked in for the last eight months. Uh, That's going to be an interesting story because obviously they still want into F1, but are they going to pair with Red Bull? That's not going to happen now. Are they going to potentially red pair with Williams? Or will they buy Williams from Dalton? These are some really cool, sexy topics for us to discuss in the months ahead.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely, and that that uh, Porsche and Red Bull one that that is interesting. I mean, I, I know I'm kind of putting the cart before the horse here, but I mean, going back about two months to the beginning of July at the Austrian Grand Prix, I mean, that seemed like that was going to be like the big the big unveil, right? And it just uh, it just never happened, and here we are two months later, and it's like, yeah, well, it's it's not going to happen, but or at least it's not going to happen with uh, w- with Red Bull. So, Mark, let's start jumping into some of the other things that we were going to to talk about. Uh, before we do that, of course, I want to give a show a little bit of love to JT the Human, the artist that uh, kindly created the uh, the the opening soundtrack to the podcast. And you can find him on uh, Apple Music and all those good places. And uh, just uh, want to give him a shout out because uh, I love that. It, is, it gets me pumped each and every time. Oh, actually, I'm I'm getting I'm really out of sync doing this. Uh, Hammy, we're a little we rusty that, today. For
0: everyone at home. Totally Totally,
1: totally, give us a break. Well, it's like... just the
0: second time in six <laughs> weeks. We're a little rusty today.
1: Well, I gave like the championship uh, update and I almost glossed right over the uh, our F1 fantasy update. So if uh, you have those uh, handy, maybe we can just uh, do a little quick uh, update on that. Or do you want to come back to that uh, a little no, bit? No, I'm ready uh, later to go. On. The All site right, is actually
0: functioning and I, I'm not going to hold back the official F1 fantasy site is terrible. It is absolutely (laughs) garbage. So to the 2,000 of you that struggled and suffered through the registration process and the maintenance of your teams through this terrible interface i apologize but it is still to this date the preeminent f1 fantasy site but i do have an update so the top 10 the top 10 are separated by just 170 points so talk about things that are undecided or wide open or still to be decided this championship is wide open sitting in first place from the uk andrew t 3,262 points. Number two, representing the Maple Leaf, Adam J., 3,240 points, just 22 points behind the leader. Whitman R. from the UK, 3,187 points is in third. Thaddis F., number four, 3,173 points. Number five, Janko West from Canada, Out of nowhere, 3,123 points. Jesse H. from Canada sits in sixth place, 3,122 points. Also from Canada, number seven, Noah F., 3,110 points. From the UK, Ludwig Y., 3,107 points. From the UK also, Marshall W., 3,095 points. And wrapping up the top 10, a new entrant in the top 10, Aaron Kay, 3,092 points, just three points behind Marshall. So some of those names are familiar, some of them aren't, but I think that just reflects the fact that this championship itself is not decided and will not be decided until the final race of the season. I can promise you that.
1: There you go. Very cool. And uh, well done to everyone. Uh, some some interesting uh, movement in the charts there. So cool. Um, right. Oh, one thing I want to talk about too, this is an interesting stat that uh, you pulled up from F, F1 underscore charts. And that is the head to head qualifying between uh, teammates uh, this year. And I think it's, uh, it's pretty cool because if uh, you kind of go down team by team by team, and uh, starting off with that, uh, Red Bull Verstappen is out qualified Perez 13 to 3 Charles has out qualified Sainz at Ferrari 12 to 4 Russell and Hamilton so George is uh, 2 behind uh, Hamilton uh, Lewis is uh, out qualified him 7 to 9 Lando just this is a landslide out qualified Danny Ricardo 14 to 2 over at Alpine fairly even uh, Alonso is leading the way 9 to 7 over Esteban Alcon over at uh, Alpha Romeo, uh, Valtteri Bottas is uh, eleven to five uh, over uh, Joe Guan Yu, the, the the rookie. That's actually pretty decent uh, from 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 Joe. I mean, my reaction with, as well. Yeah, yeah I think that's well. that's very very solid uh, performance in qualifying against a very very good veteran Formula One driver. Over at Haas, this isn't a a surprise. Uh, K-Mag is out-qualified MSC, 12-4. Over at uh, AlphaTauri, Gasly, 10-6, out-qualifying Yuki Tsunoda. And over at Aston Martin, Vettel's out-qualified Lance, 9-5. And then over at Williams, Alex Albon has out-qualified his teammates, Nick Latifi, 13-2. That's another one of the... uh, yeah, you want to match up against, uh, good against your teammate, so that's not a good look uh, for 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 Nicholas uh, Latifi. But I guess it also really underscores how good of a driver that uh, that Alex Albon is, and uh, what uh, he's managed to uh, to to do in his first season at uh, at Williams. So there you go. Passion, drive, and patience—the formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive or your money back because with ebay motors you're burning rubber not cash with all the parts you need at the prices you want it's easy to make your car the mvp and bring home huge wins keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply all right well let's just uh, keep going from there so we can kind of uh segue nicely into our first story and that is the you know the the shocker of the what the hell that just happens news that I saw on Monday morning which which everyone did and of course uh, we saw Nick DeFries the uh, uh, Williams uh, reserve driver take to the track for the weekend because Alex Albon had to miss the Grand Prix and qualifying because he was uh, having trouble with appendicitis Anyways, he goes in to have uh, the operation and all that stuff. And then he has a very rare... Um, reaction to the, uh, the anesthetic and goes into respiratory failure and has to be put on a respirator and all this stuff. And dude, I was shocked. I was just like, what am I reading? And then the story, like I, I read it on BBC first thing on Monday morning and it's like, but he's okay now he's been released and he's in a general ward and he should be going home like tomorrow. I'm like, Oh my God, this is like a 20 something year old formula one driver. One of the fittest athletes on the freaking planet had appendicitis, which is, you know, not an uncommon thing, but goes into respiratory failure. I, this, this absolutely shocked me. I, I'm just so grateful and so thankful that, uh, that, uh, they were able to take uh, proper action and that, uh, that Alex was only a, at the end of the day, just inconvenienced with a, a bit of a longer stay in the hospital than was uh, originally intended that this was a shocking story, Mark.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I woke up on Monday and my first the first I was aware of this was actually a Tim Horaine tweet. Like I think a lot of people, I kind of I roll over in the morning, grab my phone and start scrolling through social media. And when I saw the tweet from Tim, I, I rubbed my eyes. It seemed surreal. And at that point, either it wasn't clear that he was doing well or I didn't scroll far enough. But I had this yep. legitimate moment of panic. And my thought was the exact same as you that if somebody who's as physically fit and dialed in as a Formula One driver can have that type of really rare, scary reaction that it could certainly happen to anyone. And if he wasn't as fit as a Formula One driver is, maybe the outcome is ultimately very, very different. And then also selfishly, the next thing I start, th- started to think was, well, is he going to be back in time for the next race or are they going to be super cautious and give him an extra race weekend off to rest and recover because what he just went through is not insignificant. It was a very serious medical situation.
1: Well, you know, that that's just it, right? I mean, that's what I thought uh, when I first saw it was that, uh, you know, Alex, uh, he, he'd said, I think he said he posted something on Instagram or one of social media channels saying, okay, this is what happened. I'm feeling okay now. And like, my, my focus to get better and start focusing on the Singapore Grand Prix the week after next. I'm just like, Yeah, I know that's that that's kind of like the kind of like the elite athlete mindset. It's just like, oh, I'll just rehab, I'll just train, I'll get better. And then, you know, I'll be back in shape in no time. But I was just kind of wondering, you know, is he just being a little bit too optimistic? Pardon me. And just to um, you know, really kind of looking to you know to, to that race, and, and rightfully so, right? I mean, th- that's his job. This is what he does. I mean, this, he's he's a Formula One driver, and he's he's there to race. But that was my immediate question too: is Is he going to be in you know the the, the right physical condition to actually get into that car in just over a week from now to go to Singapore? I mean, let, let's not forget. I mean, Singapore is one of the further flyaway destinations from the UK where most of these teams are based so you know there's there's a lot of travel involved uh, just to get there plus the big time difference well i mean whatever but i mean just to get back into the car and start doing what you needs to do on thursday friday saturday and sunday you know like uh, over those 4 days when they when they're there for the for the whole grand prix weekend right from start to finish when they they start unpacking the garage and setting it up and until they they pack it up after the race is over it just it, it seems a little bit too soon but i'll defer to Alex and the advice of his uh you know, his doctors and the you know and Williams as well. But yeah, that was that that was a shocker, you know. Like, I mean, you know, like yourself, I tend to doom scroll first thing in the morning when I wake <laughs> up as well. <laughs> yeah. Although I, I must admit that uh, you know the the, the the doom scrolling quite isn't as doomish as it was, if that's even a word, it isn't quite as bad as it was maybe a couple of years ago. But still, not not a nice way to to start uh, all the of day. that.
0: All of that to say, and I think this is maybe a perfect transition into the first story. If the advice from the team or his medical. Yep personnel is that maybe he should sit out another race. Well, Williams has an awfully great option available to them. That's all I'm going to say, because this is a topic that I was really disappointed. I wasn't yeah. able to join you and Tim for, but the yeah. the Nick DeVries yeah. subject is so fascinating.
1: Yeah, well, totally. Right. And so like, th- this is the way that I see it, right. Is that Alex, I think you got to be, you know, be cautious take it, you know, take it slow. Don't rush back too quickly, right? And you see, he, he's not a fringe driver. I mean, he's he's had a pretty good year. I think he's done a pretty good job for a team that doesn't really have the best car on the grid. I mean, and, and look how we see. We, we just were talking about, like, the head-to-head uh, qualifying results between himself and his teammate, uh, Nicholas uh, Latifi. I mean, 13-2. to 2. I mean, that just uh, sort of speaks for itself. And then Nikki was out qualified by by, by Nick Defree. So Alex isn't going anywhere for, for 2023. He can afford to Take a weekend off to re- uh, rehabilitate, get himself back into to uh, to, to shape, and then finish up the, the the rest of the year. But what you get is this really interesting uh, dynamic because now you have a, a driver, Nicholas Latifi, who has struggled this year and has just never really found his feet, and he's just never been able to get a handle on the car, and just to it, it's just it's been a bad bad year. I mean, th- there are questions following Nikki coming into the season. I think rightfully so, but now you see him head to head again with uh, Nick DeFries potentially who had an outstanding weekend at Monza he did exceptionally well in qualifying for a rookie and then you know to come home in ninth after it was all said and done my immediate reaction was this reminds me of Stoffel Van Dorn back in 2015 when he he filled in for Fernando after he had that horrible crash in in, in Australia, Australia in round one yeah and so he fills in for, for for Fernando at Bahrain like the a week or so I guess it was the next week and I I can't remember, did he fill in for the one race or was it two? Anyways, the point of the matter is that uh, he goes to Bahrain fills in for Fernando, brings it home in P10 and, you know, eventually he kind of parlayed that into a full-time drive. Unfortunately for Stoffel, he kind of got that drive where they were right at their nadir, right? I mean, they're right yeah. at their lowest point, point and, you know, it was just uh, right opportunity, wrong time with the, you know, at, at, you know, with you know, the wrong team, unfortunately, at that, uh, you know, at that, that particular moment in time. But I mean, that was, it was an impressive result for, for, for you know, a, a rookie driver because, I mean, very much like Nick at that point in his career, Stoffel was kind of knocking on the door of Formula One, but those those opportunities, those seats weren't available. So he gets that opportunity, he does something with it. So, you know, we we could potentially see that again next week. And then it would be interesting to see, was that just sort of a flash in the pan? Is Nick DeFries just really, is he just really comfortable uh, at at Monza? And then how is he going to be in a very in a car on a very demanding track like Singapore because it's always hot, it's always humid. Even though it's a night race, that's going to be a demanding race. And then see him again, head to head with uh, Nick Latifi, and then we'll get a question: Okay, was it just a one-off, or you know, z- does Nikki pull one back, or you know, y- y- you get a bit of a sample is what I'm saying. And it's very much, I think, it makes the the, the conversation that they're going to have at Williams just that more much more interesting. It's like, okay, now we've seen these two guys head to head a couple of races.
0: What are we thinking for 23 now? Look, look, Daly, I give Nick his flowers that that entire weekend was spectacular. He gets that FP1 session with Aston Martin, gets a feel for the track and gets the last last minute call up to Williams to compete in a Formula One Grand Prix. A rookie. He goes out there and he scores points in a car that I think most of us probably don't don't recognize as a particularly strong contender that it was a great weekend. and was a great story, but let's remember a few things here. Nick is a formula two champion. He's a formula E champion. He's 27 years old. If, if we believe he should be in formula one, this is maybe just the outcome that we should have expected him of delivering in that car. And I think what this does tell us is a couple of things. One, I have been, And I will own this an excuse machine for Nicholas Latifi for three years. So bear with me this is how i have been an excuse machine you know he competes in his first two years in the championship against george russell george russell is his teammate i think we all knew and it was well established that george russell was an exceptional talent that was going to compete for a big team sooner rather than later and drawing an ab comparison between the two of them probably wasn't necessarily fair the other thing to consider is that that 2021 williams was a massively underdeveloped 2021 car they just carried it over because of covid they carried it over because of the new regs that were coming for 2022. So that was just a bad car. And the fact that anyone was able to consistently deliver points in that last year was a Miracle. So this year was kind of the first major litmus test for me for Nicholas Latifi. He's coming in in a new car and a new period of new regulations. Driving a car that he had significant input in delivering. George Russell's gone. He has a new teammate and Alexander Albon, who's already once been demoted in Formula One and has already lost his seat once. And he gets this second opportunity, and he comes in and he just thrashes Nikki race weekend after race weekend after race weekend they are in completely different territories they're competing in completely different leagues and all year I'm like nikki man you you got to be better you've got to perform better and i love nikki because he's canadian he's a good guy he's just not a formula 1 talent. And it was just reinforced once again this weekend that Nick DeVries, who has virtually zero experience with this car, with this team, has never competed in a Formula One Grand Prix, has never been part of a start-stop process, has never been a part of the grid formation. All of this is net new to him. He goes out there and he scores points. He finishes ninth. Nikki hasn't scored points all year and it's unlikely that he's going to and i think the question now uh is one there is no competitive justification or explanation for keeping nikki last year nikki is done he's finished and i love him he's a wonderful person he's had three years in formula one and every single teammate that he's had has significantly outperformed him he's done and let's be very honest Going into 2022, one of the reasons that Williams may have been open to retaining him is he is the last of a dying breed of pay drivers. He brings what's reported Mm. to be $40 million of pay money, $40 million of sponsorship through RBC and Safina to Doralton. They like that money. They don't need it anymore because of the cost cap and because the sports now flush with cash. So he's not going to be back next year. All of that to say, now Williams has this really interesting conversation about who's going to be there. And now if they don't move quickly on Nick because they lost out on the Piastri conversation because Piastri's like, I don't want any part of the Williams deal. I'm going to I'm going to go to 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 McLaren, which of course created tons of content fodder for us all summer. <laughs> all of a yeah, sudden, right? it, if Williams doesn't move quickly on DeVries, they may not have an opportunity because now there's other teams taking a good look at this young driver who's had an audition in in Formula 1. So, I'm frustrated with Nicky There's no competitive or really, ah, there's no competitive justification for keeping him this year. And like, this is going to be a hot take. We have what, six races left this year? If you know Mm -hmm. Nikki's not coming back next year and you're able to come to an agreement with Nick DeVries, why do you keep Latifi? Is it because you don't want to compromise the balance of those deals? Compromise the balance of those deals. You're better off getting Nick into that car now and getting him familiar with the team in Formula 1 so next year is less of a shock to his system. I'm I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated because Latifi couldn't be the driver I so desperately wanted him to be. Um, And I'm frustrated that Williams continues to keep him for the wrong reasons.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I was just thinking too as you were talking about that. I mean... Let's just say that uh, uh, Nick DeFries gets back into the car next week in Singapore. He has another similarly good weekend then that kind of levels up that conversation even more, right? And That's, I was just thinking, right. okay, if, if he had a great weekend. Let, let's not take anything away from that. He had an excellent weekend at Monza. Phenomenal. Thrown phenomenal. into that car at a moment's notice, and he delivered, getting into Q2, bringing home home points, and then literally having to be pulled out of the car by the mechanics because he didn't have the strength to get out <laughs> of the car himself, which I thought was uh, an incredible moment. I go look that one up on, uh, on YouTube if you get a chance. But let, let's just think, if he has another good weekend, Weekend in Singapore next week, if he gets a chance to drive, then you have to think, you know, if they bring him into that team, I like that driver pairing of Alex Albon and Nick DeFries for for a team like Williams. Oh, I like so that I. pairing a lot. So do I. Yeah. I,
0: yeah. Yeah. And, and Mark, so just there, one other quick point on this. And I know we have to sure. move on to the next topic, but the other consideration is this I think that Williams' car is a lot better than we think it is. And of course, it was particularly mm. good at Monza because it's not a particularly draggy car. Like that was a track that was good for this package. But you have to wonder how much better that car is than we, than we recognize. Because if you had a second driver on that team that was driving at an equivalent level to Alexander Elbon, suddenly you double yep. the team's points and you don't have three points finishes this year. Maybe you've got six. Or seven or eight. And now all of a sudden, maybe you're not in the basement in terms of points. Maybe now conceivably you're you're chasing Aston Martin and those valuable constructors prize dollars. Like I just mm-hmm. I, I just think that car is better than we give it credit for being. And I think we've discredited it because of the drivers. And maybe people like myself um have, have over overestimated the capabilities of the drivers that have been driving it. One in particular.
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe ultimately that's what the conversation becomes is that if we, uh, you know, if you're, if you're Williams, you're thinking maybe if we don't bring back uh, Latifi, we're not bringing in X number or X billion dollars in sponsorship, but we can offset that because if we have good drivers that are scoring constructors championship points, then we're making that money back through prize money, you know, potentially. I mean, how much that remains to be seen because, I mean, that kind of changes every year. My math, by and the like way, my math,
0: ninth over 10th is worth about $50 million.
1: There you go. I mean, that that's that's big, big, huge money right there, right? I mean, and and that's th- those are the smaller pieces of the pie right there. So right. I, I think that's really what the what, what the conversation is. I mean, if, if I was in charge there, if I was Yost Capito, I think I'd probably have ar- already made my decision, but we'll let uh, Yost be Yost and uh, let him make that decision and announcement uh, in due course. Anyways, let's take a, a quick time out. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, Colton Herda, super licenses and all that kind of fun stuff we're going to speculate there a little bit we'll do so in just a moment so don't go away we will be right back
0: another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app
1: Okay, welcome back to the show. It is the Marks, Mark squared, DOS Mark, whatever you want to call us. Uh, we are mark? back for the first time, <laughs> <laughs> DOS Marks. I think that's what Rocky always calls us in the uh, in, in the live stream. I kind of like, like the NS-Dos? Spanish connection. Yeah.
0: like disk operating system or something like, else?
1: like Uno Dos Tres. So I guess it's oh, DOS Marks. Sorry, my, my okay, Spanish gotcha, is kind gotcha. of like horrible. My 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 my. my, my Great friend Jorge, who's from Mexico City, he would slaughter me every time I tried to pronounce any Spanish names. We used to do the, uh, the, the 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 MLS podcast together. So I just went and did my thing and then I I just I just rolled with the punches. He he would just roll his eyes and cluck his tongue <laughs> and say, no, no, that's not how you say it. But I always got it back because the one time there would be like a Dutch player's name thrown in. And like, no, 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 that's not how you say it, but Anyways, yeah, I think it's Dos no Sparks, but uh, there you go. We are back, and we are just rolling through the news here. So the next story, and I think this is kind of a fun one to talk about because Colton Herda, the IndyCar driver, who drives for Andretti. His name has been linked to, to Formula One for basically all season long, right? And it is, it's interesting, right? Because he's almost been unofficially anointed as like the like like the American driver that will come over to Formula One. And I think we talked about this with uh, Tim a couple of weeks ago, just the way that um, that the points or, or series are ranked and what you can get in terms of points where you finish in each of those uh, series and how they count against uh, your your super license. So the FAA said this week they're not going to be pressurized by teams over a super license points because I guess maybe if they're going to try and get um, Colton into Formula One, if he doesn't qualify for super license, maybe they're going to maybe not pressurize, but maybe they are going to what's uh they are going to lobby the FIA to rela- for for relaxation to grant him a, a super license so I can understand where the, the the FIA doesn't want to bend on this one to make special exceptions for drivers and so I, I I'm completely cool with that what I'm not cool with well maybe not cool is maybe going a little bit too, too far I think what the what the conversation has to be okay these are series where you can earn points towards your super licenses and are those series you know correctly weighted specifically IndyCar because I think there was a very very good uh, quote which you threw into the notes here I, I will see if I can find that um it's here somewhere because uh there's eight oh there's only eight IndyCar drivers that have uh, qualified for an F1 super license since 2016 Scott Dixon, Joseph Newgarden, Will Power, uh Sam Pagenaud, Alex Palo, ha- uh, Helio Castroneves, Juan Pablo Montoya, Juan pa- uh, JPM obviously was in uh Formula 1 years ago <clears throat> and Alexander Rossi and you know 5 6 years ago Alexander Rossi was the the the, the name that was going to be thrown that was thrown out there should an American driver make it into Formula 1 Alexander was the guy whose uh, name was thrown out here. Anyway, uh, so the, the the quote comes uh, courtesy of uh, Formula Two driver uh, Callum Millet, and uh, his um, comment is quote: "IndyCar is harder than F F2. Average level competition, races almost twice as long, uh, no tire saving, so full attack whole time, physically draining, much more variety of tracks, so adaptability is key. F2 has its own quicks, which are hard to master, but Indy takes the cake. The problem is F1 as a car is so different uh, to anything else that nothing else really compares. Simulators help nowadays, but any driver who's naturally fast and there are more than a few in IndyCar won't have a problem getting up to speed in an F1 car. So that's uh, that that's interesting. But for me, like the core of the discussion is what are uh, eligible series that drivers can earn tor- points towards their super licenses or however they earn their, their super license or points. And is that correctly and fairly weighted? And I, I think that's, Obviously, IndyCar is not getting the, obviously, it's not getting the respect it to, de- deserves, but it's not being properly accounted for. And that's why guys like uh, Colton Herda might uh, struggle to, you know, get. Get all the bureaucracy out of the way. I mean, and I think the Calamillet really nails it. I mean, if you're a fast driver and there are some exceptionally talented drivers in IndyCar at the moment, and he nails it uh, when he says that, uh, you know, if you're naturally fast and and you're fast driving in IndyCar you're going to be, you know, the the learning curve is not going to be as great for you going over to Formula One. So I think that really all needs to be taken into consideration.
0: This is such a great conversation. And it was one of the things that got people really fired up when we were doing the Spaces chat. I I just, I want to remind people that the super licensed program is an artificial construct that was designed to protect Smaller teams in Formula One from themselves. And by that, I mean it was a reaction to the criticism that Formula One was getting because certain smaller teams were really leaning into legitimately pay. Drivers And the FIA and Formula One wanted to react by creating this artificial construct that effectively validated the presence of somebody in F1, that somebody could no longer literally buy a Formula One seat, that you effectively had to earn your way through it. But to your point- <laughs> Nikita Mazepin. <has a> <laughs> oh, sorry, it's got something in my throat here. The, the waiting though, I think is where people are frustrated. One, the fact that the waiting mm. is not necessarily appropriate given the competitiveness and the challenge of the championships that are categorized through the waiting system through the super licensing feeder st- structure but furthermore the lack of openness by the FIA and Formula One to adapt like this the current construct the current model is only five six seven years old it's artificial it was developed it was arbitrary adapt it. You know what? Absolutely. You're right. We've revisited it. The IndyCar championship is as competitive. It is as aggressive. It is as difficult as the F2 championship. Or furthermore, maybe it's more aggressive, more challenging, just like Callum indicated. The races are twice mm. as long. A huge, huge variety of tracks, oval, street courses, hybrids, dedicated circuits, significantly more complex tire strategies. It's very close to being a spec series, so there's far more competitive back- That if you win or you win consistently in this series, you are an immensely talented driver. And I totally agree. And Marshall in the spaces chat tonight made a really great point. And I'd never thought about this before in Indy. If somebody wins the championship they're back to defend that title the next year. So in Indy, you effectively accumulate talent year over year because you're pooling champions. And that talent doesn't necessarily disperse to other championships. But Formula 2 is considered a terminal series, meaning when you win your Formula 2 championship, you never step foot in that championship again. So nobody's ever there to defend their title. So some years you may have three or four great drivers. and other years... There may be a complete Deficit or deficiency of talent in F2, and suddenly you have three guys that score 40, 40 freaking super license points just for showing up in a year that just happens to be uncompetitive. It's it's a mess. And I don't agree with giving Colta, Colton Herta an exception. But what I do agree with is you amend the requirements and you amend the waiting and you make it retroactive for three years. Do that because then it applies equally to everybody that's competed in D. Because that stat that you mentioned, which we pulled off of Reddit. Shout out to F E S H P two for compiling this. That's a really startling stat. That in the last six years, only eight Indy drivers would ever have qualified for for an F one super license. It's it's crazy. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, you know, I was kind of. I, I think you kind of uh, really touched on a good point there, Mark. Because I was wondering too. It's just like, okay, if you do uh, decide to to revisit this and then reallocate the weighting of the points that uh, that that each series can contribute toward a, a super license what then is it just like starting january 1st 2023 this new uh th- this new system comes into effect but then what then you know do you, i i think it would be incorrect just apply it to say a guy like uh, colton Herda just to, because you know there are certain parties within formula one that are keen to see him get a super license. And uh, some people like Nick DeFries, he wasn't in favor of that. Uh, Matteo Bonotto, Ferrari uh, team principal, he wasn't in favor of that. But I think that, you know, if, if you just do it across the board that uh, you maybe know, maybe retroactively apply it for a year or two years or whatever it is to all drivers that maybe if it's uh, then maybe it, it, you know, if you make the admission, okay. Or you, you re reevaluate and say, okay we were actually incorrect that uh, you know, the way we were uh, weighting these uh, different series, but, you know, we're going to let your award these points or to, to everyone. Right. And then, then I think maybe that sort of takes a little bit of the unfairness out of it. But I think to just to, to, um to apply it to one driver just wouldn't be right. I, you know, I have to admit that I am probably more in favor of, okay, let's just start clean January 1st, 2023 the start of a new year, you know, and then just uh, let, let's go forward from there. But I guess if there was a way to sort of capture everyone under one sort of umbrella, then maybe there's something to you know, to consider about that. But it, it's a very, very interesting topic. And uh, I, I I personally think that uh, that that Indy just isn't getting the recognition it deserves. But, you know, maybe just by having these sorts of discussions and the comments that, uh, that that other drivers are making is, uh, you know, going to force the FIA to, to, to re, uh, revisit that. That because the whole point of it is that a super license shouldn't be easy to get. That the drivers that that make it as far as Formula One deserve to be there because they're talented, and not just because they're they're pretty good drivers, but they bring a lot of money with them. Which, as you correctly uh, pointed out, isn't such a big issue as it uh, today as it was even a couple of years ago. But still, you don't want to set the bar. Too high because then you get drivers like 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 Colton who's kind of stuck in a little bit of of a no man's land. That yeah sure I mean would you given the choice would be like would you rather race an Indy car or F one and if you can't race an F one do you just want to sit at home and do nothing? You'd be like no of course not I want to go back and compete in Indy car because I'm a race driver I want to race that's what I do right. So I, I think that's what the, the whole point is to correct the system to where there's a nice level playing field for everyone and that, that the people that, that that are there that that accumulate these points can do it in, you know, in, in a pre- fair and proper way. And ultimately, I think that benefits uh, Formula One because then you have a bigger pool of qualified drivers to to potentially, you know, pull from. And I know there's, you know, that, uh, you know, that, that sort of. Brings up that ever de- green discussion that there's always way more qualified and good drivers out there than there are seats in Formula One. But again, you know, it, it is supposed to be the, the the premier motor racing series on the planet, so they're always going to take the best of the best.
0: What or they should be. What anyway. bothers me Great. about the current waiting system is that it creates this perception that through it, the FIA is effectively protecting the the ladder system that has historically, traditionally fed Formula One with drivers. It protects Formula Two. It protects Formula Three. It protects the Formula Regional Series that these series have a disproportionate amount of weighting within the super license structure because they've been the traditional feeder series. And there's really strong financial investments between the teams in these series and the FIA in these series and Formula One and these series. And car gets disproportionately fewer points. And for everyone sitting at home, just a reminder, uh, you need to score 40 super license points over the span of three years to qualify for a super license. In Formula 2, in the Formula 2 championship, if you finish first, second, or third in a single championship, you score 40 points, you get your super license. You can finish third in one Formula 2 championship and you have your super license. Indy, the weighting is disproportionately off. And it goes back to that quote comment that you read a couple of minutes ago. If you do win an IndyCar Series championship, you get 40 points, you get a super license. If you finish second, you get 30. And if you finish third, you get just 20 points. And then all of a sudden, Formula 3, you get 30, 25, and 20. Formula E, 30, 25, and 20. And then the FIA World Endurance Championship, 30, 24, and 20. Now, in terms of Colton Herta. I don't think he wants an exception. His camp doesn't want an exception. He doesn't want to come into Formula One wearing a wearing a lanyard that says, I got my super license because Red Bull Racing campaigned against the FIA in Formula One to get me an exception. He doesn't want that. Now, there is still a path for him to get to Formula One next year, but it's a little bit risky. So right now, he's sitting on 32 points. He can in the winter, before the start of the next Formula One season, compete in another championship. And the championship that I think most people are looking at is the Formula Regional Asian Championship, which is competed primarily in Abu Dhabi and the Dubai Autodrome during the winter. That championship awards 18 points for first place, 14 points for second place and 12 points for third place. So he could compete in that series. And if he finishes in any of the top three positions, he will score enough, really actually the top four positions. He will score enough championship points. He will score enough super license points to get his super license. So even if the, Even if the FIA and Formula One choose not to amend how a Formula One super license is awarded, even if they don't make an exception, if he competes in the Formula Regional Asian Championship, which is not particularly competitive, all things being equal he should be able to go in there and score a top two, top three finish at the very least, get those points and be able to join Red Bull. Now, the risk for Red Bull in all of this is that that championship doesn't wrap up until right before the Formula One season. So the risk is they could announce him, have him compete, not score the necessary points, not get that seat, and then they've got to have an emergency backfill, which I don't think is necessarily going to be ideal for them. Finally, a quote from Stefano Domenicali, Formula One CEO. He is very much on the same page as the FIA, and I quote, The sport needs to respect the rules, he tells Autosport. And of course, American drivers or other drivers are very important. If he, that should have been if they, but if he is eligible to come in F1 because he, again, should have been they, I don't like this gendered, but if he is eligible to come in F1, that's the <laughs> point, it's fantastic news. But there is a ladder to follow which again, infers the Formula 2, Formula 3 championship ladder, but there's a ladder to follow. There's a protocol to respect and that is the situation. So it's really what I believe is right to do. And again, to that, I say, this was an artificial construct that was designed to combat the perception that people were literally paying for their seats. It's not that old and it can be easily amended in a way that allows everyone to benefit.
1: Yeah, 100%. Okay, let's uh, move on to the next uh, story. And that is that uh, McLaren has now uh, announced a partnership with uh, Jack Daniels. And uh, it's, it's funny because... So I find that over time that uh, we are seeing more and more brands showing up as sponsors on Formula One cars that uh, that that we recognize because when it always comes to like a, basically what our eurocentric sports series, and I find it uh, like especially with like cycling where you see like all the sponsors on the 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 bikes and the 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 riders' jerseys and stuff is like, I don't know, like 95% of these companies and whatnot. And always used to be like that uh, with formula one to a certain degree, but I mean, uh, Jack Daniels, Tennessee whiskey is now an official partner of the uh, McLaren formula one going, starting in 2023. And that is obviously uh, a household name in, in North America, Zach Brown, CEO of McLaren racing had to say, quote, we are thrilled to welcome Jack Daniels to the McLaren F1 team together. We will look to reach new audiences as well as hosting a variety of events together. 2023 is an important year for McLaren, McLaren, as we commemorate our 60th birthday, and we are excited to celebrate with an iconic brand like Jack Daniels by our side, end quote. So this is an interesting one. And again, it's just, uh, I think we've talked about it uh, quite a few times, just uh, the way that some very big and very well-known brands are are buying into Formula One as sponsors, and it's there's a lot of big, big money that uh, that continues to pour in the sports. Uh, daily, thoughts, it, it uh, also Annie?
0: just speaks to how attractive McLaren is is a as a property, right? Like we we hear stories about Red Bull attracting big, big dollar sponsors, which makes sense because they're yep. the defending World Drivers Champion. If you look at McLaren, they're not particularly competitive, but they're really sexy from a marketing perspective. I just pulled up on McLaren.com the list of all the major sponsors they have for the Formula One team. This will mark their 46th sponsor. Their 46th big dollar sponsor, and all of these sponsors are paying multi-millions of dollars. So when we talk about the cost cap, well, some of these teams are going to be able to pay for the entire balance of that cost cap through sponsorship. Forget prize money. That's just great. But some of the big sponsors that are currently paired with, uh, with McLaren include Dell, Darktrace, Arrows, Goldman Sachs, Android, Webex, Splunk, Chrome, DeWalt, <laughs> um, FX Pro, Coca-Cola, Hilton, CNBC, Golf, Clips, Sparco, Pirelli, to me logitech uh and the list goes on and on like big time mega brands so it speaks to the appeal of, of companies getting involved with formula one but it also just speaks to how sexy mclarens made themselves with with american companies because if you look at these companies they skew disproportionately to those that have their bases and their principal footprints in the united states
1: yeah, absolutely. Very, very interesting uh, to see. Okay, let's take uh, another quick uh, break. When we come back, we're going to take a look at another uh, Formula One team, and that is Haas, because Ferrari has uh, you know dropped some hints who could uh, replace or wh- what ha- could happen with the future of Mick Schumacher, who's announced uh, he's breaking ties with the Ferrari Academy. So we'll talk about that in just a moment. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Okay, welcome back. Yes, we're going to talk about uh, Haas and Mick Schumacher. As I, I mentioned, that uh, he is going to uh, break ties with the Ferrari Driver Academy uh, in 2023. Uh, Mark, your thoughts on this, and uh, who potentially could be the
0: slide into MSC's uh, spot? Yeah, I'm. I'm choosing my words carefully because I find this situation a little bit not alarming but a little bit there's a little bit of shock factor to this because if you and I reverse the the calendar by 2 years we were talking about Mick Schumacher as the next superstar that could potentially carry Ferrari to a championship he signed with the Ferrari Academy in 2019 he won a Formula 2 championship in 2019 his second year in that series again it was a close championship and it wasn't necessarily a championship that was loaded by with talent but again he won an F2 championship earned a super license points and was promoted to F1 via the Haas Ferrari connection for 2021. I disregard 2021 as anything for Mick Schumacher. That year was a complete joke. It was Haas carrying over a leftover car from 2020, which was a leftover car from 2019. It was a team that was fully funded and backed by an oligarch, and he was racing next to an oligarch son who himself was a rookie that shouldn't have been in Formula One. The entire year should be a write-off. So for me, this is really his rookie season. And I think we need to look at it in, in isolation. Forget 2021. Has he done enough this year? Has he shown enough to earn a second season in Formula One? And I think he's shown flashes and I think he's shown himself to be capable. I think it's really great that he has a more accomplished, talented driver next to him because when you're racing next to Nikita Mazapan, there's no data, there's no telemetry. There's nothing you can learn from him, but this is the first year that he's been in formula one and paired with a capable driver. So this is the first year he can sit down with his engineer and look at the telemetry coming out of Magnuson's car and say, look, this is where he's braking, This is where he's getting on the throttle. This is where he's shifting. This is his racing line. You can learn something from him. I think he's shown enough to deserve a second opportunity, but clearly Haas and and clearly Ferrari have decided otherwise. And not that he should deserve this simply because of his lineage, but I would have assumed that from a marketing perspective, there would have been enough appeal to give him another year, to give him another opportunity. But at the same time, he certainly found his way to take that car off the track a lot. And for a team like Haas, that's hyper budget minded, despite the cost. Mm -hmm. I think the amount of money they've had to invest in rebuilding that car has been something of a frustration for him. And at the same time, you look at who's being potentially teed up as a replacement for him in Schwartzman, and I'm not necessarily sold that that's necessarily a great move for him or Giovinazzi. And I don't think Giovinazzi was a great driver when he was in Formula One. And it seems very, very strange that they would go back to that. Although let's be honest. Being an Italian driver, I think Ferrari is very much invested in having him in Formula One somewhere. And I think they were a little bit frustrated that he lost his previous seats, um, but also kind of reflects the the waning influence they had with that team over who was going to be piloting their cars. I would like to see him get another year. And if he has another year like this one, so be it. You've had a shot in F1. But to me, this is his rookie season because I think 2021 should be written off.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree, and I, I couldn't help but think that Matteo Bonato's uh, comment, saying that uh, they, you know, one possible uh, replacement for 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 Schumacher would be uh, Ferrari test driver Robert Schwartzman, was just maybe to me it just it didn't sound sound like a threat. It almost seemed like a little bit of a motivator. But I guess maybe I misspoke just now, saying that uh, that Schumacher had already said that he was going to leave uh, Ferrari. I, I can't remember now. The last couple of weeks is actually a blur. Maybe that was just something we were speculating, or did he actually say that he's going to leave? Yeah. The, the the Ferrari.
0: Yeah, it's because it, it sounded like it's it was, all but confirmed. It's all but confirmed at this yeah,
1: point. Yeah, that okay. That's that. That's what I thought. Okay, thank you for that. So yeah, I I, I don't know. I mean, perhaps it, it would uh, work. You know, it might work out for him to get out of that funnel. But at, at the same time, I I can't help uh, but thinking that if we. we very much like yourself, I think that we really need another year to see him in that car to see how he's actually uh, developing. But who knows? They they might have ideas, uh, you know, on, on something else. But I, I I don't know. I mean, Robert Schwartzman's name is not exactly one that's been linked with the Formula One seat any other time in the in the past that I can remember. I mean, he's a good driver. He, I guess did he win the F two championship? I know that. You know he's he was pretty decent in that uh, that that series, but yeah. you know he finished I, second I don't with ever Prima last year. Uh, okay, that's that's what it was. So right, I, but I mean the, the the point is is I don't ever remember hearing his name linked to any one of the 10 Formula One teams until those. Comments about uh, you know that that were made by Matteo Bonato, which is basically referring to Schumacher, and if he's uh, leaves Haas, and you know how that uh, you know Gunther Steiner was saying that the Ferrari driver academy is a big pillar, you know, of their team and an important part of how they uh, they they get drivers. So I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, last year, like you say, it was tough for him. He was never going to really you know, develop it, it was going to be tough for him to develop in that situation uh, alongside you know a talentless driver that was his teammate so daily i've actually Who just knows? changed my it- mind
0: I've actually... I've actually you, you've changed <laughs> your mind. Oh, you've got a 180. So, okay. So despite that long rant about him deserving another yep. opportunity, I, I I, still stand by my word that 2021 should be disregarded, but I've decided to sure. take a different perspective. And my perspective now is okay, I have a serious amount of respect for Ferrari. For Ferrari to sign okay. this guy to their driver academy pump money into his development and be so sure so quickly that he is not a fit for them in Formula One and to cast him out of their driver academy is an awfully brave move because obviously they have some intel they have some data they have some insight they have some understanding that this might be peak mick schumacher for them to do that not just because he was a celebrated f2 champion but because he's the son of a five times ferrari world drivers champion is is incredible so if they're willing Mm -hmm. to separate their relationship if they're ready to end that relationship you know what I respect for Ferrari to do that because it's an awfully brave move considering the lineage that he carries.
1: Yeah, definitely, but also, you know, in in that same train of thought, I still couldn't help but think that maybe that was a, a bit of a you know subtle motivator from Mattia Bonato to you know try and get uh, Mick Schumacher maybe kind of put the fear of god into him that you know if he doesn't pull up his socks that he's not going to be around uh, right. for, you know for, for with them next year. So who knows? Mark,
0: I've changed my mind again. Oh. No, I'm joking.
1: <laughs> um, t- twice in one show.
0: I'm joking, I'm joking. I'm joking. We can move on to the we next topic. Flip
1: flopping all over the place. Okay, because we're we're going to need some time to, to to unpack this one, and that is the whole unraveling of the what was basically a lot of smoke but no fire. And that was uh, the, the 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 stories that were percolating and bubbling up all over the place all over the summer that Porsche were going to buy into Red Bull they were going to become basically equal partners and apparently that's not going to happen now the 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 rumored announcement that they were going to make way back at the Austrian Grand Prix at the beginning of July never did happen and it's just kind of it's smoldered since then it's it's never really picked up any any speed and uh, now it's uh, completely gone off so I I know this is a story that you've been following quite closely over the past couple of months. So why don't you start and then uh, we'll see where it goes because there's a lot to talk about in this one. It's
0: absolutely fascinating. And, And you know what? You and I have alluded to that fact that this could be a possible outcome for more than a year because we've seen brands, banners under the Volkswagen umbrella, flirt with Formula One many times in the past and then back away at the very, very last second. And obviously, we now know that Audi's committed to being an engine supplier for somebody, we don't know who, but we know they've committed to be an engine supplier for 2026. We still believe that they're possibly going to buy Sauber. Although the fact that that hasn't been announced is a little bit alarming in itself, but we had all assumed based on all of the news, based on all of the noise, based on all of the gossip and rumors that there was going to be some sort of partnership between Porsche and Red Bull. And then last week on September 9th, Porsche released an official statement that said the following, in the course of the last few months, Porsche and Red Bull have held talks on the possibility of Porsche's entry into Formula One. The two companies have now jointly come to the conclusion that these talks will no longer be continued. The premise was always that a partnership would be based on equal footing, which would include not only an engine partnership, but also the team. This could not be achieved. With the finalized rule changes, the racing series nevertheless remains an attractive environment for Porsche, which will continue to be monitored. So We all believed there was going to be some sort of amalgamation, some sort of partnership. In essence, what had been reported was that Porsche was going to buy a 50% stake in the Red Bull group, so the core Red Bull group. But as time went on, it became more and more confusing as to how that was going to work because the assumption was that Porsche was going to announce their partnership with Red Bull. They would start up a power units division and be the power unit supplier for Red Bull. Well, all of a sudden in the last year, Red Bull stood up their own power units division. They're now building an internal combustion engine. They have now fired up an internal combustion engine, and they are well on their way to having a power unit ready for 2026. So there was no need, there was no requirement for Porsche to be a part of this team. And I think as time went on, I think Helmut Marco and Christian Horner were able to push back on the senior leadership at Red Bull, who were really campaigning for this deal to begin with, and help them see that, look, we don't need Porsche. They add no value. And furthermore, the valuation of the Red Bull team is now exponentially higher than it was 18 months ago, two years ago when these talks may have started. We don't need them. And furthermore, if we do partner with them and we sell half of the value of our team to Porsche, that could be a bad deal based on what this team could be worth in two or three years, especially if we continue to win championships. So all of a sudden the deal became Untenable. It became untenable for Red Bull and no longer made sense. So I think. Helmut Marco and Christian Horner got what they wanted, which was a separation here. And I think in the final stages and the final days of their conversation, they probably went back to Porsche and said, hey, we're willing to do a branding deal, which is we're going to continue developing our power unit. You can pay to put your logo on the car. And that's not what Porsche is looking for. They are highly competitive underneath the Volkswagen umbrella, and they want to be able to do what Audi's doing, which is to partner with a team in a meaningful, equal capacity and develop a power unit from the ground up. That opportunity no longer existed with Red Bull. So it's a fascinating story. And now there's two kind of storylines that split out from this. One of which, is, yep. what is Porsche going to do? Are they going to still enter F1? And if so, how and with who? And all of a sudden, Williams and Doralton looks like a really sexy acquisition target. Doralton came in as an investor, as a flipper. They bought Williams at a bargain basement value a couple of years ago from the cash-strapped Williams family. That team is ripe for resale or partnership. Maybe that's the team that they buy. Maybe that's the team they, they partnered with. And then the other question is, Does this create an opening for Honda to repartner with Red Bull? We know Red Bull is going to continue using Honda engine technology and Honda supplied engines through 2025. What's to say that Honda doesn't repair with Red Bull and start providing some expertise around the electrical system as the race reported on one of their great YouTube videos today and reinvigorate that relationship. So there's so many things that could happen as part of this. And we all assumed, like you said earlier in the show, we had assumed, hoped, expected that there was going to be announcement at Red Bull's home track in Austria that this partnership was on. And when that didn't happen, it should have been a red flag to all of us. So super, super, super fascinating stuff.
1: Yeah, and uh, you mentioned that um, you know that uh, video from the race the, the the quote from Christian Horner regarding Honda is as follows quote our train has left the station for 2026 we have an engine and prototype uh, running we have all of the dynos commissioned we're ru- we're up and running Honda are a great company they announced that their withdrawal from f1 to focus their attention on the electrification of their products moving away from the combustion engine so you would assume that if they were to look to a return to f1 that would would have to be taken into account whether or not there was any interest potentially on the battery side and any potential synergies there it could be an interesting discussion but the combustion mechanical side of the engine We're on a roadmap to 2026 that we're very happy with. End quote. So there you go. They're they're committed. I think that they got there that the, uh, you know, this RBPT the Red Bull Powertrains division set up in something like 55 months, which seems pretty insane to go from nothing to a a fully independent uh, engine program with uh, 300 something employees in that uh, short amount of time is uh, you know it's a bit crazy when you think about it. So certainly. A story to watch, but uh, I, I'm I'm kind of surprised that it didn't happen. But when you hear some of the comments, that uh, basically they were willing to 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 make that deal and make uh, Porsche like 50 uh, you know partners in the, the the Formula One team because it's a lot you know it's a loss of uh, auton- uh, autonomy and you know potentially a loss of control of the team, which obviously they don't want to uh, to to give up. So um, another, this is going to be a fun one. We should talk about it uh, quickly. The provisional calendar Ooh, for can 2023. I take this one? Yeah, oh, yeah, so, go for so it. So I have for been it.
0: waiting months for this because I have been fascinated with how we were going to construct a 24 race calendar. And I'm going to take you through it quickly. It is going to be an absolute Grind. We are going to start the season on March 5th, at least reportedly via F1 Insider. We are going to start the season on March 5th in Bahrain. Two weeks later, we are going to kick it off in Jeddah. So that is a three hour flight Bahrain to Jeddah. We are then going to jet two weeks later across the world to Australia. After Australia, two weeks later, we are going to bounce into China, the first time that we've been there since 2019. Two weeks after China, we fly all the way back to Azerbaijan. And then a week after Baku, we are in Miami. So we fly from Baku all the way to Miami. We then fly back to Europe for Imola on May 21st, followed by Monte Carlo, Monaco a week later. That's just a quick skip and a jump. And then a week after that, we're in Barcelona, Spain. So we have this triple header. We go Miami, then we have a week, two weeks off, and then we do, bam, Imola, Monte Carlo, and Spain. Two weeks after that, we are back in North America for Montreal, and then (laughs) two weeks after that, we're back in Austria, followed by Silverstone a week later, followed by Spa, two weeks after that, followed by Budapest a week after that, and then we finally get a much-deserved summer break. After the summer break, we are in Zandvoort, followed by Monza followed two weeks later by Singapore, and then we're in Japan, and then we go from Japan back to the Middle East because we're going to Doha for the first official Qatar Grand Prix, and then from Doha, so we go Japan, Doha, and then we go all the way to Austin, Mexico City, Brazil, then we fly north back to Vegas, and then for the season finale two weeks later, we fly back to the Middle East for the third Time. So if we talk about regionalizing the schedule for the sake of environmental impacts and the sanity of all those involved, this is not a regionalized calendar in any meaningful way. It is going to be a grind. Man, when you first saw this calendar, what came to your mind? (laughs) <laughs> to say like, oh my god it's going to be a busy year <laughs> you know if, if
1: that's where they pull it off but i i'm kind of surprised like so kind of the way that they kind of bounce back and forth between uh, north america and some of the uh the, the the other races like you said we're in baku that we go to miami then back to imala and then uh you know for for a couple of races well three races in uh, on continental europe then back to montreal then back to europe for for a month uh, before the summer break you go to Zanfort, then you get monza then all the way back to the the to the far east again for Suzuka or sorry Singapore then Suzuka then Doha which is going to be cool because the, the new track should be ready by then then all the way back to uh, to, to to Austin back to Dakota and then you know they are wor- steadily working our way south uh, through Uh, central and south america and then all the way back to vegas but i mean what a finale first you're going to vegas and then you're finishing it off at uh, yas marina and abu dhabi at the at the end of uh, november potentially in 2023 it's it's exciting but wow is that ever going to be a packed calendar and that is the the understatement of the evening i think absolutely okay um Okay, so, oh, one little thing here because I know that uh, you wanted a couple little things here. So, uh, there are going to be four female drivers that are going to get their first chance to get behind the wheel of a Formula 3 car that includes Abby Pulley, uh, Chloe Chambers, and Teresa Babikova, and then uh, a recent guest on this show, Hamda Al-Kubaisi. She's going to get a chance to drive a Formula 1 3, or sorry, a Formula 1 3, what is that? Some (laughs) weird mashup. A Formula 3 car, which I think is very cool. So, if you want to check out that interview that Hammy did with uh, Hamda, go back. Uh, they only did that about a month ago. So that's uh, definitely worth uh, checking out. Valtteri Bottas also confirmed that there is a group chat between the Formula One drivers because, of course, why not? Because we are all in group chats. So why should Formula One hey, drivers? Question. Uh, just be on any that,
0: different? just on that, we've sure. all been in a group chat where somebody has rage quitted. For some reason, somebody upset them. Somebody said something inappropriate. Oh, it's Fernando. Yeah, Fernando exactly. 100% is rage right right quit. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. Okay. You You knew exactly where I was going with that.
1: yeah, I, I could see if see, but somebody like Lance, Lance would be like, whatever. <laughs> I think Lance is way too chill for for that, and you know maybe in S- Sebastian Vettel might be kind of relaxed about. It. I think basically everyone except for for, for maybe Fernando. Um, anyways, before we go, I know you've been getting some comments, a lot of questions, like what happened to MotoGP corner. I don't have the music for MotoGP corner to, uh, queued you up. You can tonight. put it in post You had a couple of stories. Put you it in
0: during post production. I could. I, I have, could I but would require effort. I haven't.
1: Ugh, a okay, go for effort.
0: it. Oh my gosh. Mark Marquez <laughs> is almost back. And the reason this matters is Mark Marquez is the closest thing to a transcendent talent that MotoGP has, given the fact that, of course, Valentino Rossi left the championship after last year. As a reminder, Mark Marquez joined the premier series MotoGP in 2013. He won six championships in his first seven years including a championship in his rookie season of course a couple of years ago at the beginning of the 2021 season actually that's wrong at the beginning of the 2020 season he had a really bad arm break again MotoGP is an incredibly dangerous incredibly physical sport you get thrown from the bike you slide under the bike you get hit by bikes it is very 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 different than Formula One he broke his arm rushed to get back into the championship far too quickly. He had some ill-advised medical advice that complicated matters. He recently had major surgery that was once and for all supposed to fix the bone. It sounds like the bone is completely repaired. It's completely healed. He has made his return to a MotoGP bike. Now, he is not yet ready to return to competition, but he did have a really, really, really positive quote last week where he said, and I quote, I only started in the gym two weeks ago, did two days on a road bike, and then straight to MotoGP. So the timing was quite tight and there's still a long way to go, but I feel good. He says I didn't enjoy the first run because these bikes MotoGP are too fast. But from that point on, I started to enjoy it a bit more still after 100 days away, you were riding mostly by instinct. The bone is 100% fixed. He explains. So with the bone, I feel perfect. It's the muscles on the fracture area. I don't feel any pain, but it's more all the elbow and especially on the shoulder and on the back. Honestly speaking, I was suffering physically more than enjoying the first day. But it's sometimes like that, even if you do a normal winter training and then arrive for the first day in Qatar, these bikes are so powerful. You can be very fit on, but on the bike, it's very, very different. So exciting. I don't think he's going to make his return this year. In fact, I hope he doesn't make his return this year. I just don't think it's worth the, I don't think it's necessarily worth the risk. Uh, I think next year as a fresh start would be the right move for him. So a little bit of uh, a little bit of MotoGP corner today. There you go. You know,
1: it's funny. When I think about Mark Marquez, that I feel like he's been around forever, and he's not even 30. He's what, 20? I guess he's about... Like, he must be pushing 30 now, Let right? me bring
0: that up. I'll get you his exact age right now. So Mark Marquez was yeah. born the 17th of February, 1993, which makes him 29.
1: Okay, 29. Six yeah, there you go. Six world championships but I mean, before just, you're 30 is a pretty yeah. good one. <laughs> Well, I guess maybe that's why it, it feels like he's been around forever. There, there's a really cool three-part series uh, on him on DAZN, uh, you know that one sports uh, streaming service, uh, D A Z N or D-A-Z-N. Um, I think yes, yeah, three or four um, um, parts. I watched it uh, earlier this uh, this year. It's you know if you've got a subscription for that, just uh, you know search up his name and uh, give it a watch. It's uh, really really worthwhile. Well, Hammy, wh- what do you say, buddy? Anything else uh, I've tonight? Got one more I think we've story. kind of exhausted. One more you got story. One more-
0: Slide under the wire, and I apologize, my friend. I couldn't get oh, this on the you agenda snuck this one because in. I didn't know about it until Marshall flagged it for me. So shout out Marshall for that. Well, this hasn't been vetted yet, so I don't know if we can let these
1: uh, sort of oh, last-minute uh, you know, Um
0: I'm reading here. I from know if it, if it was from anyone other than RU, Marshall, I would feed it. Reading here from the Daily Star. <laughs> I'm RU? joking. I'm joking. This is from uh, the race.com and I quote: F1 teams cool. couldn't agree rule to prevent safety car finishes and i'm quoting here this is a story by scott mitchell Mall. Hmm. it's really great formula one and the fia pushed to find a way to avoid grand prix ending under a safety car but teams failed to agree on a solution mclaren has revealed sunday's italian grand prix came to a controversial and unsatisfactory conclusion when a late safety car period to deal with daniel ricardo stop mclaren lasted so long that there was no time to resume the race before the checkered flag there is a general desire to avoid finishing races under caution wherever possible. But this is a sensitive subject for F1, given the way the 2021 Abu Dhabi GP descended in acrimony because the incorrect application of safety car procedure changed the outcome of the race and the championship. McLaren boss, Andrea Seidel said that an opportunity was presented to teams to change the rules after last year's season finale, but a satisfactory solution could not be found. And I quote, After what happened last year, and I quote, sorry, after what happened last year in Abu Dhabi, there were a lot of discussions between the FIA, Formula One, and all the teams involved in order to see how the rules could be modified to make sure that races never end under a safety car, he says. But despite the FIA and Formula One really pushing all of us, the teams, to find solutions, it was down to us and pretty much all of us. We couldn't agree on any better solution, which is then also still a fair solution in terms of the sporting outcome. That's why I guess we simply have to accept that, unfortunately, situations... Situations Like this, what happened last weekend will continue to happen. I thought this was a fascinating story and more so fascinating that this hasn't bubbled up anywhere else, given the fact that the FIA and formula one basically went to the teams and said, figure out a better solution that what we have today, they couldn't come to agreement. So they mm-hmm. started the season with the exact same structure that we had last year.
1: yeah isn't that ironic and you know the thing is there there won't be any movement or any action on it until we get like another finish or two like we had at Monza and everybody's just like you know guys this is BS, and you know people start uh, getting turned off of the sport. Then, unfortunately, that's when push comes to shove, and and I just don't see anything happening until we get to that point, which is uh, I, I have to admit uh, quite uh, discouraging and frustrating. But I guess uh, that's what we've kind of come to expect from from Formula One over the years. So, anyways, um, any other last minute uh, additions from what was it, Daily Star? Dot ru or whatever. I don't know where you surf in the, in the in the you know in your own private time. I just hope that you have a good antivirus. You know who knows what uh, you know, what sort of nasty bits of uh, you know viruses and malware you're getting if you're visiting sites like that. But anyways, I kid. Well, buddy, it was great to get back and in, into the studio and do this uh, with you again. It feels like it's been uh, far too long. But I've been living my best life over the last month and um, got some uh, well deserved uh, R But uh, it's it's been a lot of fun to sit down and do this with you again. And uh, well, I mean, the rest of the way. And of course, like you said, still a lot of uh, other content coming, but the main uh, focus will always be on this show. And uh, was there anything else you wanted to mention before we sign off? Tonight, yeah, just hand, our normal spiel. You good?
0: If you want to give us a follow on Twitter, we'd love to see you there, at area F1 pod. Our website, I keep teasing this, is coming soon. We're super excited to unveil that very, very, yep. very shortly. I'm actually going to take actually going to take a little bit of time off to work on that, uh, which I'm super pumped to do. And then finally, if you do enjoy the show and you follow us, listen to us on Spotify, a rating on that site means the world to us. And if you listen, if you download our show on Apple Podcasts, a rating and a review is always much, much, much appreciated.
1: Yes, please. And thank you very much, everyone, for the for the wonderful support that you you give us uh, each and every week and uh, f- over the years. It really means a, a lot to us. And if you want to get in touch, easiest way is on Twitter at F one pod and uh, on the email scuderiaf one pod at gmail.com. That will change. That will become redundant once we get the new website up and running and uh, until then we get we get a rare weekend off so i guess uh, we week instead of watching formula one this weekend we can work on the website so there there you go hammy we got our work cut, cut out for us but anyways uh you know thanks everyone for listening enjoy your weekend without formula one i know it feels weird that there isn't a race but uh, enjoy the free time we'll be back in a couple of days and until then we'll talk to you soon bye for now